specifically on this, but we're going to be touching on it throughout the course of the year as we see, have the opportunity on. And it is, has to do with our series on, it's in your connection cards that way. They're waving at me in the back. And junior high class, you have a class to go to. So... Thanks for Todd for doing that for me. Yep. So this is our series on transformation, and um, we, you know, we we've talked about transformation, you know, on Sunday morning a few weeks ago. We've talked about being equipped to be transformed. We've talked um, about being sent to live a transformed life. Today we're talking about serving a transformed, you know, a life that is serving a transformed life that serves others and all. And so um, this weekend, though, you know, the, you heard him mention that our, our high school students, many of them, not, maybe not all, but our high school students, many of them, um, were uh, serving. So uh, who can talk to me about, Kevin, you want to talk to me about, what, what were some of the things you guys were doing, three different things? Tell me what they were. All right. Let's stop right. Let me just stop. I'm repeating. This is like interpretation, right? And so, um, so one team stayed here and they they um, uh, served or they visited and did some ministry. Uh, did visited in Chandler Hall, and then they also did. They served the other team that was away by doing food prep and stuff. The other team that was away was. All right. One team was working at Cornerstone with our sister church, Joe Darrell, working on a project there. And then the other team, there were two groups. One did, one did work on the project. The other group worked on evangelism. And then they switched. And they, so they both, both groups did the project and both groups did evangelism. I heard there were some interesting interactions in evangelism. Yeah. Now, some of you were telling me about that. Oh, Kate. Kate, tell me about your interaction with evangelism. Fun. It was fun. All right, go ahead. This is Kate Moradian. If you don't know, go stand up so I want to see you, Kate, so they can know who you are. Lovely. The lovely Kate Moradian. Thank you, Kate. Um, so tell me about your experience. It was fun, you said. Tell me what the lady said to you. It was fun and it was funny. It was funny. <laughs> okay. And, um... Yeah, you got one here. That's good. Thanks. Here you go, Kate. Here we go. Why don't you stand up so they can see you while you talk. You're, you're, too, you're too cute to sit down. All right? All right. Kelly? Come, you can stand up, Kelly, since you're part of this, too. This is Kelly Smarr. Grandmom's here today. Hi, Grandmom. Here you go. Yeah. All right, good. We were talking to this elderly woman who was kind, and we were talking to her. And all of a sudden, she looked at Kelly and said, you don't look like one of the smart people. You look like one of the dumb people. Honey, that is not true. That's not true. So Kelly didn't really know what to do. I wouldn't either. I've had some experience with the elderly, so I just said, yeah, yeah, we're, we're those people. We're those dumb people. But you're one of the smart people because you could tell that we're, we're the dumb people. Okay, all right, good, good. And was that up here or was that downtown? That was up here? That was Chandler Hall. That was Chandler Hall, yeah. okay. Yeah, we thought that was the easy spot. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, you're not the dumb people, all right? Don't believe those lies. Yeah, yeah. Now then, I know that another group of you had an incident down in the city at Love Park, I guess, or someplace, right? Who wants to tell me about that incident? 
Well, tell me about one of them. Evan or, Ke- or Kelly, you're going to tell me about it? Oh. Melissa, who is going to tell me about it? All right, good. You were down, you were down in Love Park. Where were you? Love Park, and you were, you were giving away tracks and stuff? Yes. Okay, stand so, up. This is Kelly Pesta, everyone. No, this is, this is oh, Melissa. This is Melissa. <laughs> Kelly Pesta. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> start. Wait, wait, wait. We have to start over. Let's get your name right. This is Melissa Pesta. She was baptized this fall with us. Go ahead, Melissa, talk. Um, we were walking down the street, and we saw this man with a blankie, so we figured that he was homeless. Yeah. So um, I came up to him, and I asked him if he would want a lunch, and he said yes. So I asked you, him So you I guys had prepared lunches to give away. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. good. So I asked him if I could ask him a question. He couldn't really speak well, so he was kind of like, well, and I was like, I guess that's a yes. So I, I shared the gospel with him, and I was like, now, is that, like, is that like something that you could place your faith in? And he was like, well, you see, I'm in the middle of blah, blah, steal, blah, capture you. And so I didn't want to get captured. <laughs> so I left. I was like, there's, there's a tract in your lunch if you want to learn more about that. Um, I'm out. <laughs> yeah, okay, great. Good thing God is sovereign. All right, I feel that way when I share the gospel. Now, uh, you also had a yelling person, right? Who had the yelling person? Who wants to, who wants to tell, you tell us about this, the yelling person? This is Kevin Belmont. Kevin? He doesn't walk much. Go ahead, Kevin. Use the mic, use the mic, use the mic. I went for recording. Use the mic. All right. Uh, okay. Um, we were, there was a, another group that was also down there. Uh, we thought their um, Mennonite group doing, um, uh, had a large thing of like soup. They were kind of doing a soup line. There was a lot of people there. And uh, one of the things we did is, is some of the extra people that were kind of on the fringe of that, we were also um, trying to talk to them as well. And Saud walked up to um, one man um, who then kind of went off on Sal about things. This is Sal over here. Poor yeah, guy. Is, you know, him, sorry about that, Sal. Um, and he did a really good job talking to him and, uh, and trying to engage him. Um, but this guy didn't necessarily want to leave him alone and actually approached, came back and walked towards me, in which case I was able to kind of stand in front of the kids a little bit because the guy was, um, we'll just say... Belligerent? He said he was, he was, there's no truth, and that truth is relative, and a lot of things like this, and started kind of doing the apologetic thing and arguing a lot, and I kind of said to him, um, by the end of it, I, he said, you know, I said, we're just out here trying to be compassionate towards people, and he started listing things that Christians did wrong between, uh, like, the Spanish Inquisition, which is really far away from us, but, but anyway, <laughs> you know, and he, he kind of went off. You know, off. for some people, all those dots connect, you know. Yeah, and... Um, so that was a really tough time, and it was a really hard experience for the kids because um, it's not easy when a 50-year-old person wants to kind of beray you with things that you've done wrong that you might not even have any idea of being connected to. So yeah. that was a really tough incident. Yeah, good. Yeah. I bet you some of our kids didn't even know there was a Spanish Inquisition. So, you know. <laughs> Here we go. Here you go. Oh, did you want to say something about you? Were, were you at the yelling thing? Okay, very good. Right. Oh, he's going to take it back for us. I'm sorry. So, um, but I think those kind of things are really healthy. I, I think that that's the way it is. And so when we think that we want to send our kids out so they don't get yelled at, that, well, that's, that's setting them up for, you know, for disappointment because they're going to get yelled at, you know, at home, on the street, one place or the other, you know. So, um, but all that is service. 
And all that is a part of transformation. We're going to talk about how that works toward transformation right now. Let me ask you something. Do you, do you recognize that? Anyone recognize that? How did you know that? Wow. Yeah. Do you recognize that? you recognize any of those? Recognize any of those? Recognize any of those? Okay, so, so the top one, the top one there... You're right, it's Mount Rushmore. I didn't know that. Some of you are much smarter than I gave you credit for. It is Mount Rushmore. That, the before and the after, yeah, it got there. And then, and then this one here, you know, that, this is a, that's a big block of granite, you know. And we don't know that that particular piece of granite was used for this next one, but it came from something like that. So, David, Right? And so both of those things, they, they, they came from something else. You see the before and the after, right? That's what they were. But they were, can I use the word? Transformed into these things. There we go, transformed into these things. Now, I want to show you a particular adaptation, um, a particular adaptation of uh, one of these. You know, David right there. There's also a version of David. Um, this is David. <laughs> After spending about six months in the South eating chicken fried steak and grits, you know, so uh, he's also was a multiple transformation right there. Yeah. But you know, when we talk about transformation, when we talk about what God is asking of us, when we talk about, you know, this, this is a core value of ours, we say we long to see are be transformed in the image of Christ. You know, what God is seeking for us is, is that we are like this. We are like a block. You know, we are unformed. We are like that. And what God is seeking is to transform us into that. He's seeking to transform us into that. That particular passage is from, is from John 13, where it says, Now... Um, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set for you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you... Say that word, folks. You've got to say it with conviction. Oh, you're pitiful. Do! You're, yeah, thank you. If you do them, if you do them, you're blessed if you do them. If you, if you take this example and you do what I've said to you. Pull out your Bibles to John 13, John 13 and Philippians 2. John 13 and Philippians 2. This morning I'd like to suggest that a key aspect of our transformation to the image of Christ is serving as he did. Is serving as he did. In John 13, we're going to look at a particular passage here that we studied just a few weeks or a few months ago when we studied John. I'm going to set up the stage for you. John 13 is, the, is uh, when Christ pulls disciples aside to the, up, to the upper room and there it says that after dinner he took... He stood up, he took a towel, he, dis- he unrobed, he took a towel around himself, and he took a basin with water, and he began to go around to every one of the disciples, and he began to wash their feet. And he went to all of them, and he did this for all of them. 
And he, um, and then he comes to verse, um, let me see here, we'll start. Uh, verse 13, and we kind of already read it, but I want to read it again. I want you to read it. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for I am so. Right there, first of all, let's just pay attention to that. He says, he says, you call me teacher and Lord. You look up to me. I'm the authority. I'm the one that's setting the standard. I'm the one who, um, who sets the pace. I'm the leader. You know? So in that, in that phrase right there, he acknowledges a hierarchy, a structure, an us and a them in a sense. I'm the Lord. I'm the teacher. You're right about that. Then listen to this. If I then, the Lord... And the teacher washed your feet. You also ought to wash one another's feet. So what he just said is this. I am the Lord. I'm the leader. And if I do this, you should do it as well. If you're my disciple, if you're my followers, you will follow me not only in where I go, but in what I do. And so what I've just done for you is the standard, the example of service for you as well. What I've just done is, is the example and the standard for you. For I gave you an example that you should also do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, neither is one who is sent, him, is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you, do, if you know these things, and you are blessed if you do them. Now then, that's the passage we just looked at right there. I want you to flip over now to Philippians 2 in your New Testament there. Philippians 2. Neither, both of these passages, I'm sure, are very familiar to you, but we want to look at them and make sure we apply them in the context of our teaching today and, and, and of our subject matter. We'll start in verse 1. We'll read an extended passage here. If therefore there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God, God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and, made, and, and being made in the likeness of men. And after being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Well, there you got it. When we talk about service, and we talk about that we are following him and his disciples, and this is the way he served, then that is our model for service as well. And if this is who he is, in other words, like for instance, if, if, um, if this is who he is, if, if, if that is Jesus, and we are supposed to be transformed into the image of Christ, then that is also our posture. That is also our place. 
among others and with others. It's a serving posture. You know, when you read both these passages, when you, especially the Philippians passage, you pick up on these hints of humility. Because he said, he said explicitly here in chapter 2 of Philippians, he said he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men and found an appearance of men. He humbled himself. He humbled himself. He humbled himself. And so here he is. And so his posture is one of service. His attitude is one of humility. And so when we think about service, that's what we're thinking about. That's what we're looking at. He is our model. He's our standard. So I'd like to suggest that there are some observations we can make. And there are many, many, many. But we're going to limit them to five today for our purposes. Five. And so observations about how Jesus served. And so when we talk about being transformed into the image of Christ, then these are five things we can say, this is how I ought to serve so that I look like him. And in a moment, we're going to talk about why that matters. So very first thing we're going to say, observation of serving like Jesus, the first one is position doesn't affect service. We've already highlighted that. Position does not affect service. Authority, other does not affect service. So uh, students, simply because your parents are parents and they have authority, it doesn't mean that they don't serve. They serve as well. Students, because you're on the SALT team, that is your leadership team among the youth ministry, because you're there, that doesn't mean that you lead. That means you serve as well. See, in the con- and, and we could, you could chase this for a long time, but really, um, leadership in our faith is service. Is a servant leader. And so, position does not affect service. It, it, position being somebody having a title, whether accidental or intentional, does not mean that you don't serve. It means you serve, and in some cases it might mean you serve more. So let's just make sure you know, I have a title, it doesn't mean I don't serve, and it doesn't mean that it changes my serve. I mean, I, I get called to serve in certain ways that other people might not, but I still serve. If you have the deacon of an elder, then you still serve. If you have the deacon of a, 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 a title deacon, you still serve. If you have the deacon of worship leader, you still serve. Titles don't mean you don't serve. Title means you serve in a specific way. And so having authority does not exempt you at all. And some think it does. Number two, the other, another observation I make is that we, you can't serve if you can't humble yourself to others. You can't serve if you can't Humble yourself to others. Now, um, you know, even if you were to look back on that slide we just had up here a moment ago, uh, that is not a position of authority there. That is not a position of, uh, of lording anything over another. That position there is one of humility, of humbling himself to another. Matter of fact, you think about this, and, and think about this really well, because this is hard for some of us. But we know that Christ humbled himself before all 12 disciples, knowing that within the hour, one of them would walk out and betray him to his death. He humbled himself to that man, just like he did to every other man in that room. Humility. You can't serve without it. Humbling yourself to others. 
Christ chose to humble himself. And, and some of the things is, you know, I've heard us say, I've heard myself say, well, you know what? That exempts me because he said that. Because they did that, I don't have to do this, you know. And often we take someone else's misbehavior as our exemption to serve them, as our exemption to love them. And, other, and like, like some kind of uh, behavior or some kind of act means that you are all of a sudden unlovable. Well, if that's the case, then how many of us would be lovable today to the Lord? Yeah, that's, that's an accurate representation, none of us. And so the way that he loves you, the way that he has humbled himself to love you, is exact what he calls you to do to others. And so service does not extend to those who like you. It didn't extend to the, little, the elderly people at the nursing home that didn't call you dumb. That it didn't extend just to those who said, you're so cute, honey, thank you for coming. So that wasn't the only people you were called to serve. You were called to serve the one who was unfortunately mean to you. You were called to serve those who wanted to shout you down on the street. You were called to that person. That was not a mistake. That was not wrong. You were called to that person. Some of you as spouses are here today alone because the other spouse won't come. You're called to serve that person whether they come or not, whether they endorse your faith or not. You're called to serve employees who make life difficult for you. Employers who make life difficult for you as well. You're called to serve them. You're called to humble yourself to them. And and in the case of service in our context, in your workplace and stuff like that, you know, in in the case of that... um, that position right there, you, you'll probably never have to wash the feet of your vice president of, you know, your company. You never have to do it physically, but in your attitude and your heart, you absolutely do have to. In your attitude and your heart, you absolutely do have to. And so while you'll never maybe assume this physical position, in your attitude and your heart, you have to. Now, the next one, the next observation we can make is number three there. Circumstances don't crowd out service. In our culture, here in the suburbs, um, we, it seems that the most difficult thing, and for churches, some of the most difficult things to work out is time, availability. And so we get into a place where we just say, and, and believe me, I've been wrestling with this all week long, you get in this place where you say, well, time didn't allow me to come to church and help out with that. Or time didn't allow me to go next door and check in on the neighbor. Or time didn't allow me to, you fill in the blank. And yet, I think that what we have to do is we have to make some hard choices about what we are using our time for. And maybe saying no to some things that prohibit us from being free and available to say yes to other things. And so there's no doubt about it. Life gets confusing. Life gets crowded. And there's just not much wiggle room in it. But the fact of the matter is, is that there are times when we are specifically and undeniably called to do something. And for us to say, I don't have time right now, would probably be a mistake. This week I had a little episode like that, and, um, and I'm so grateful that I obeyed because I just felt, I felt so blessed by it. I was, I, was, I was running by the mall. I dropped off Owen's iPod to get repaired, and the young man that was there repairing it, we struck it off really nicely when I dropped off. So when we, 
I picked it up. We continued our conversation, and I walked away. And I'm walking away from that kiosk there in the mall back towards Sears, and I'm going to go out that door of my car. And as I'm walking down that, that giant hallway, I know it, these things are weird, but these are exactly what we're looking for. I'm walking down that hallway, and I just, and I just knew. The Lord is saying, you need to go back and talk to him about the Lord. You need to go back to him and talk to him about faith. You need to go back and talk to him. And I'm getting closer to Sears. I'm like going, oh, my goodness. I just uh, don't have time for this today. Uh, and, you know, and I started working through it. And I stopped in front of the door, door at Sears, and I thought, but if you don't do this, you're disobeying. So I turn it around, and I start walking back up, and he's on the phone. So I hid behind a bush until he got off the phone. <laughs> and I saw him put down the phone. And so I just walked up, and I said, hey, I'm back. <laughs> you know? And I just says, you know what? I'm a pastor here in the area. And you know, I'm always interested in trying to find somebody who's interested in talking about what they believe and about spiritual matters and about faith and about God. And I'd be interested in knowing if you'd ever like to have that discussion. And he smiled really big, and he goes, you know what? I don't really believe in all that stuff very much. And I said, oh, you don't have to believe in it to talk about it. Because, you know, and so I kind of pursued a little bit. And he goes, well, I do have one question. Who created God? And I, you know, I talked about it. I said, well, geez, if you are worshiping a God that you was created, then how much of a God would it be? I prefer to worship a God that I can't explain his own creation. And he goes, yeah. I says, it takes faith then. He goes, yeah, and I don't go there very often. And I said, well, you got my name and my number, because I didn't have a card with me. You got my name and number. If you want to have that conversation, I want to talk to you about it. And I said, I'll see you later, okay? And I just walked away. Now, I'll be going back by there. <laughs> but it's in that moment, I didn't have time to do that, quote, unquote, in my schedule. But I got to tell you, it just changed the entire tone of my day to obey, even when I didn't have time. When we talk about service, that was a point of service. That was serving God with what he told me to do. All right? Now, I didn't say that to make myself look good because I also screw things up all the time. So that was, just, that was a good thing I want to brag about, right? I, there's a lot of others we don't want to talk about. <laughs> I tried to share the gospel with someone the other day. I got so deep and so dark that I thought, this person's confused, and I am too, and we should just stop right here. <laughs> so don't, don't think I'm bragging about myself. I had that other episode that keeps me humble, all right? Um, and, and so circumstances, our busyness, our busyness cannot crowd out our obedience to Christ and our obedience to have to serve. Now then, the other side of this coin, two sides of the coin, right? One side says, I'm so busy that I can't, can't serve. The other side of the coin says that this new thing, circumstances sometimes create new opportunities. We talked about that last week, I think, or two weeks ago, when we talked about being sent, where I had a conversation with a couple people and, as of late who said that, you know, I found myself in this, in this nursing home and I found myself with a new ministry to the staff. Well, that was a circumstance that created new opportunities for service. And so sometimes circumstances are not in the way. Sometimes circumstances are the way. Right? And so circumstances are not always a bad thing. They are very often a very good thing. As a matter of fact, um, uh, you know, it's at times of our need... When our, it's times when we are cramped with time. It's times when our life is full already, where we often are at a place where our service can mean the most. Because when we obey, when we really don't know if we have the time, the energy, when we feel spent already, that's a place 
where I think our obedience is the sweetest, is the most meaningful to the Lord. It reminds me of the passage of David um, in, in uh, one, uh, one of the Samuels. Where David, you know, he comes, in, and he comes to Jerusalem, what is going to be Jerusalem. He comes there and he purchases the threshing floor. And the guy says, I'll give it to you. And he goes, no, I will not offer that to the Lord, which costs me nothing. So it was a gift, but he says, no, I can't give God something that costs me nothing. I've got to pay for it. It's got to cost me to give this to him. And so service that's done when it's convenient, that's great. But service that's done when it's inconvenient, that means something. That means something. Number four, service is focused on the needs of others. It has to be. Look at the Lord. In this situation here, this goes even back to the comment about circumstances, is that, is that um, he was focused on needs in the midst of a circumstance when he knows within hours he will be, he will be um, uh, uh, one of his own will betray him. So the circumstances of his life were not the kind of circumstances that says, you know, I'm just going to take a minute and wash your dirty feet. It's not like I'm about to be murdered or anything. He takes, even in the midst of that circumstance, he goes, you have a need, and I'm going to meet it. We're determined to serve ourselves at the expense of others. I am guilty of that day in and day out and day in and day out, moment by moment. And from the moment of birth, people urge others to meet their needs. An infant cries until mom comes and feeds them. A toddler misbehaves until dad stops playing with the other ones to give him full attention. Older siblings often demand privileges, you know, that are at least equal or proportionate to the other siblings, right? And then as we get older, we demand as well. We want higher paying jobs. We want more comfortable homes. We want nicer cars. We want extravagant vacations. We want all this stuff that's bigger and better because it's about us. I'm serving me. You know, when you think about serving me, think about Black Friday and Walmart. There's nothing about some of those situations that we hear about that is ever, ever others-oriented. When you'll trample other people to get $10 off of a DVD player, that's embarrassing, right? We are obsessed with having our own needs met, but Jesus was different. You know, and we see it in the Last Supper. We see it in those circumstances there that he was concerned with others even at the darkest hour. It was their needs that drove him. It was not his circumstances. It was not what was happening in his life. And then finally, this one up here, number five, service always gives. It's kind of like we're repeating the same stuff over again because they're so interwoven. But Christ supreme, he was here to give, right? He gave healing to people. He gave affirmation to people. He gave condemnation to some, to those Pharisees and stuff. But ultimately, he was here to give his life. What does the bulletin say? For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. In essence, that's what we're called to do. That's what he's calling us toward. And, and, you, you've, and you've heard me say it many, many, many times. I've, someone just repeated it back to me the other day. So, but it's like, you know, when we talk about salvation and stuff, we always say it costs nothing to be able to have your sins forgiven. It costs us nothing. But once you step over that line into salvation, once you've accepted him as your Savior, it costs everything. You have to give everything. That's what he's asking of you, to give everything. And he modeled that as well, did he not? Because he gave everything. And by that, you and I benefited, and we come together today because of his grace 
because of his sacrifice on our behalf. Now, there's an overarching principle that comes over all of these, like an umbrella principle for all of these. And that umbrella principle is this characteristic of that service is always sacrificial. It is always sacrificial. How else do you say it? Service is always sacrificial. It means it comes at my expense to serve others. Again, that's the, that's the overarching. You, you can pull all the five principles we've talked about and say this one is where it comes from. Oswald Chambers said it this way. You see it there. Oswald Chambers says, never be afraid to go to the funeral of your own will. In other words, what he's saying is, is your own will, your own want, your own desires, your own comfort, your own, your own, your own. He says, never be afraid to go to the funeral for what your own is. God is calling us to that. God is calling us to that. Where does service happen? We talked about this two weeks ago, so we can just touch on this. I want to just connect the dots, though. Where does service happen? It happens where you live. It happens in your cul-de-sac, in your neighborhood. It happens in your office place, wherever that cubicle is. Whichever cubicle is yours, that's where service happens. It happens in this church, in the context of this church. It happens at the food bank. It happens in Code Blue. It happens in Kensington. It happens in Love Park. It happens in your homes. It happens in your living room with your siblings. It happens in your living room with your parents. It happens out there in the parking lot. It happens as you turn the knobs on that thing back there, that sound console. It happens as you shovel the snow out here. It happens as you set up the chairs down here or as you're downstairs teaching little ones or even as you're downstairs wiping bottoms. Those are all type of opportunities of service. Now you notice, though, that all, not all those areas of service happen here. Service does not have to be something organized by this church and sanctioned by this church for you to step into it and say, I'm serving. It doesn't have to. Betty Jo came up here and talked to you today about something that God is doing in her life, apart from me and apart from you. That's what God is doing in her life. She's been building on this for probably over a year now. God has been working in her life, working in her life, working in her life, bringing her along, teaching her things, reading her things, exposing her to things, looking at Scripture, and all this stuff is bringing her to a place where she's brought to this moment of action and service. Crossing didn't send her out. She obeyed God to his call in her life. That's service. The Stantons, we didn't ask them to go and start a ministry at Chandler Hall. That was God's call in their life, and they obeyed him and followed him. That was service. When you've done, when many of you have done a Bible study in your neighborhood, that was God's call in your life. You saw the opportunity. You stepped into it, and that was service. When you've done that in your workplace, I know some of you have done that in the past. You've done a Bible study in your workplace. God called you to that. You stepped into that, and that was service. When you baked bread for the little old lady next door, when you went next door and shoveled her snow, that was service. The church didn't condone that. The church didn't, uh, you didn't have to call up and ask permission to bake bread, make sure it's, you know, no nuts in it, you know, you didn't, nothing like that. You saw the opportunity, you stepped into it, that was service. Now then, there's a tension with that. Let's just touch on that really quickly. And that means that as we see opportunities in our community, in our cul-de-sac, in our workplace, and we commit to those opportunities, sometimes that means that you see us talk about making casseroles here for, food, for Code Blue, and you go, like, I can't, I can't do that this week. There's a tension there, isn't there? Now, we just talked about saying no to things and all. There's a big ball of wax there that we'd have to untangle. But the fact of the matter is, is that the way that we choose to do ministry here at Crossing means that we encourage you to follow God where he leads you. 
That might mean that we are not doing it as a church. We're praying for you and we're trying to resource you to do it. And that might mean that you're not able to be a part of another ministry here at Crossing. There's a rub there. We need to understand that. So as you come forward and you say, we really need to start this ministry, the fact of the matter is a lot of us are already involved in other types of ministries that are not on the books here and not readily apparent. So what does that mean for us as a church when we, when we as a church might have fewer ministries on the books than other churches? Some of us feel like we're, 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 we're less because of that. Well, when we see people doing ministry of themselves out there, I don't feel any less of that. I feel more. And a lot of you are doing that. A lot of you are doing that. When we talk about service, more often than not, these kind of sermons veer off into this thing of like pointing the finger and saying, you need to serve more. And you're a bad Christian because you don't. That's not where we're going here today. That's not where we're going here today at all. Matter of fact, I want to tell you this. There's nothing I can say to you that is more powerful than the thought of realizing that someday you'll sit before Christ and he will say to you, what did you do to serve? I have no weight compared to him. I have no weight, no influence compared to him, compared to that moment. That, thinking about that, knowing that reality, that someday I will be before him. And as I'm sitting before him, he'll say to me, Michael, tell me about your service. What was it like? Grant, tell me about your service. What was it like? And he'll weigh it. And he'll say, hmm, you could have done more. You get this much. And then he might say to someone else, well done, well done. Here's all of this that I give you as a reward for your service. Think about that. Consider that reality. That goes right back to the, that issue of transformation we talked about through a few weeks ago that we think with eternity in mind. Letting eternity influence us in our behavior now because you know what? I can shame a lot of you into coming up here and making coffee on a Sunday morning or working the soundboard. You'll only do it for a while. You'll find a way to get out of it. But when you consider that you are serving the risen Savior and that you are a standard bearer for him, an ambassador for his namesake, for his reputation, and that your service honors him, that your service brings his name up, that your service waves a banner that says, I am his and he is mine, that should compel us. And I can't, there's no shame there. There's no guilt there. It's a loving response that should compel us into service. So, service is really important because what service does is it is God's chisel. Eh, it is God's chisel on our lives. As we serve him, I, I love it that someone gave you, God, uh, gave you guys a hard time about sharing the gospel. That is great training. You were having that happen to you this weekend. You were being chiseled. That block of marble that you are was being formed into something. It was being formed into something. And that's where all of us are right now. The stone still engulfs us. We are still part of who we were. We're still trying to extricate ourselves from it. And he is chiseling something out of nothing. 
Service is a great, great tool in the hand of God to chisel and to bring us out of nothing into transformation into that. For that is what he's calling us to. To die to ourself, to die to this world, and to live with him. Service is one tool in transformation to being like him. Let's pray. Father, this morning I thank you for people who are many, many people who are great servants. Many, many people who pour themselves out time and time again. And Father, we are benefactors of that. But Father, apart from thanking you for the servants, Father, we thank you for being the God who is worthy of service. We thank you that you lived a life, you set a standard, you, you taught, you said things, and then you lived, you, uh, you fulfilled them. You, you set a standard that you exceeded yourself and you called us to. You are the object of our service. You are the one that we long to be like. And Father, in serving you and obeying you, may we be transformed into your image and be more like you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, folks.